Hi, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you today? Actually, perfect. Um, um, almost a little bit too late because there were the AirHacks TV show. So, and I get so many questions that, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I had to know, or, or almost, you know, stop this. So it was today was crazy. It was like, you know, two minutes. Uh, <laughs> and now I switched, you know, the gear. And now we are talking. All right. I hope, hope um, it was worth it. Uh, of course, <laughs> because uh, I, what I would like to know is what was your first computer? All right. Um, so I've got a couple of answers for this one. Yeah. Um, I think the first, the first computer that I um, had experience with or experienced as a, as a kid was a PDP eight with a paper tape reader mm -hmm. sitting in my, sitting in my, my father's office. He was a physical chemistry professor and I had a listing like an, a text-based adventure game listing that I wanted to type in to this. I think it was in basic and get it working. Um, so of course this became my first experience with debugging. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, I don't think we ever got the full, the full thing mm -hmm. working. But then the first computer that I had at home was a TRS, TRS-80 Model okay. 1. But the uh, tape reader, um, how you were able to program that? So it was like a printer, right? right? As printed I, I don't tapes. really remember exactly how things worked back then. This is a long, long time ago. But I believe that the paper tape was basically for recording, you know, basically printing out the, mm -hmm. the code that I had typed in. And right. there were holes inside, right? I also remember because I got, you know, the tapes from someone, but I didn't have the computer, but I was fascinated that it was created by computer. There were like, you know, a patterns of holes inside a tape. And uh, yeah, and I was fascinated by that, I remember. Yeah. I had no idea which computer it was. Mm -hmm. So you created the holes? I, I really don't remember how that part worked. I think that was after you typed the thing into memory, then you wanted to be able to save it so that you could then load it, yeah. load it again later. Okay. It would be actually interesting to see the machine which reads that, right? So it because it this was like a, there should be an I mean me mechanical device, like, almost like a data set in Commodore sixty four. Yeah, where, yeah. We I will do some research because I, as you say this, I remember exactly the tapes, but I never saw how they are read or created actually. Yeah, I just had this memory a couple of weeks ago, and I was asking my dad about it, what what computer it probably was, and he thinks it was probably a PDP eight. Mm-hmm. In his office. It was also interesting how fast the tape was printed, right? If you imagine, because I mean, it has to rotate and how many meters per second or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. And TRS, okay, uh, so what you did with the TRS then? I think the back then was just video games. There were actually some, I think we didn't have a hard disk, so you had to load things in using cassette tape. Exactly. And there were some, there were some primitive games back then. There was one called Death Maze 5000. It was kind of like, kind of a perspective view. You're going down a hallway, and you can turn right, and you can turn left, and you have to find your way through these, through this maze. And there's, there's some various traps that can mm -hmm. kill you, kill you along the way. Mm -hmm. um, I also remember there was like a primitive version of Asteroids that ran on the TRS-80, and it didn't look very good because TRS-80, like the pixels were rectangular. Mm -hmm. It was something like 127 by or by 48 okay. resolution, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there were some games on there. And I remember learning about Peek and Poke and um, trying to kind of work around like the copy protection on some programs. Like It seems like some programs had a way to ask you a password or something like that um, or a license code. And there was a way to kind of figure out if you looked at the, at the bytes in memory, you kind of figure out, oh, if I jump to this location... I can like bypass the uh, the password mm -hmm. prompt, I, and I can mm -hmm. run the <laughs> run the program. 
you said uh, asteroids were primitive, but I remember the, uh, there were the origin asteroids. It was in the how it's called gaming halls, you know, where where the proper machines, not computers, rather how it's called properly. Arcades, exactly, Video and, and ar- the um, the place, the location where uh, yeah. is, is arcade. You just call it arcade, right? So, right, and the exactly the asteroids game that was in the arcades had vector vector graphics. Yeah, but it was it was just it was just, it it was just it was the border. Vector. It was just you know white white line. And there was a small rockets which you can you know control, but it right. was also there, there was actually yeah. At the same time, there were other arcade machines which looked beautiful. It was, you know, in color, and the asteroids always looked primitive, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was also Battle Zone, which had that same kind of vector graphics look where you're driving a tank around. Yeah, there was, some other there was cool another, another, another game really cool where there was like, you know, an, cool an airplane. You can, you can fly left and right. And, 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 and it was also uh, like, you know, just, just a few lines. But it was interesting right now because it's say you know, uh, as I remember the asteroids in arcade and the I don't know what what was the other one and the other games were already proper games. They looked like C sixty four, but asteroid and the other was completely different and still very popular. Interestingly, on the table there was also the you know the defender right game, where it, yeah, 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 cool. And you play everything on yeah, TRS or was one of arcade? My favorites. Um, back then, in those days, I used to go <clears throat> used to go to video game ar- arcades. There was like one on the main street in my town that was okay. pretty popular. It's like a hangout, okay. hangout location. And um, when you got the you know the the interests to uh, to 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 write code. So I guess I was interested from in that from the start, and maybe the first the first like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, character generators things like that okay. but but um i actually got a job at the university of north carolina in the physiology department my mother was a, a programmer working there and she hooked okay. up the job a summer job which program language that, she 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 wrote um back then she was doing c wow okay she was working in she was actually working um on her master's degree in computer science and she okay. would she would receive that in 1980 which was the first year that University of North Carolina actually actually did a master's degree program. Um, so I had, I had lots, lots of interest in computers based on her her work and my father's work. He used a lot of computers in his phys, physical chemistry lab. Um, but I got this job, and initially it was it was doing things like helping scientists deal with kind of early spreadsheet programs, like Visi, VisiCalc mm-hmm. was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually it led into... Um, writing C code to control kind of laboratory equipment using like A to D, you know, digital to analog and analog to digital mm-hmm. converters. And eventually into things like early image capture boards, mm-hmm. like being able to bring images into the computer for, for analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very interested early on in computer graphics. And that, that was, I was majoring in computer science during these years. And I guess my favorite classes were like the two computer graphics classes, 461 and 462. Um, I really love those classes. And, and when I went to look for a job after college, that's what I was looking for. I was looking in the, in the newspapers for anything that said computer graphics or image processing. So as, as a kid, you just played games, but then you wanted to have a job. So you apply and, and then you work and you had then to program something, right? This was the trajectory to programming or? Yeah, I think it was a trajectory. Yeah, it was video games. And I guess I had an interest in 
in doing video games. Um, but there was no, you know, I couldn't get sure. a job doing video games that easily. And I guess I didn't have the imagination to come up with my own mm -hmm. video game. So yeah, it became a, it became a job and a way to make money. Um, so I did those summer jobs and I actually did some, but how you could well. do One, something, you know, productive without knowing programming. I mean, well, I had okay. people who were there to, to teach me. Um, yeah, I had some mentors, you know, the, the professors there and I had, you know, just a okay. strong interest in learning, learning, for mm -hmm. example, C, because that was, okay. The, so if you have interest in into it, there's no everybody problem. Everybody was using so it in the just lab. Don't, um, you know, after a few weeks, something already, yeah. you know, <laughs> is working usually. And then, yeah. Yeah. And I think in my computer science program, they didn't actually teach you programming. There was no class on how to write C. You know, they, mm -hmm. you just kind of jump into algorithms and data structures and they kind of expect you to pick up the programming language. Maybe there was a class on C programming, but I don't think it mm -hmm. okay. got any so, credits um, for taking it. This was the transition to, as a, there was from nothing to studying computer science, right? I mean, when I initially applied to to college, I thought I wanted to be an architect and go into like designing buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and I got into the school of design, but I still had this interest in computers in the background. And then I, I retook one of the standardized tests the, called the SAT test. And I greatly increased my score to the point where I could get into computer science program. Okay. And so I, and so I decided to do that. Okay. And which programming languages you learned during your time at the university? I think it was almost all C. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, that's not true. The initial classes were in Pascal. Mm -hmm. UC, we had a UCSD P system, you know, 68,000 based computers. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot, lots of Pascal early on. And then C, and I don't think any other, any other languages, except like in programming languages class, you know, we looked at other languages like Lisp. Mm -hmm. I remember using my Commodore 64 to, um, to run Logo and do a kind of paper about the, the Logo programming language. Okay, Logo is fun. Or programming language. Yeah, you mentioned that in our previous mm -hmm. episode. That was a fun language. Mm -hmm. um, so you you had computers. You had the PDP eight, then TRS eighty, and then C sixty four. Yeah, I took a C sixty four with me off okay. to college. I was really wasn't able to use it for for much programming because everything that we did was on computers kind of provided by the university. Like there was a data general MV eight thousand Eclipse machine, and they had everybody kind of using that. What's the name? Through, Never heard about terminals. that. It's um, Data General MV8000, okay. and it's kind of a classic machine. There's actually a book about the development of the okay about the about the development of that that machine and its operating system. In interesting, but it was not really successful, right? Um, I think it was pretty successful. It was not successful at our school because we had so many people using this one machine. It was like a time-sharing machine. It had, okay. all these term it had way too many terminals hooked up to it. So I can remember literally sleeping on the floor of like the, the computer building, waiting for a, a, t a time at a terminal. And then once you get a terminal, you know, you type in a line of code and press enter, and you just kind of wait. Okay. And, and wait. There's a queuing already, right? Okay. Yes. Um, what happens after the university? Yeah, so after university, I you know I was really interested in computer graphics, and like I said, I, I was looking at newspapers around the Raleigh, North Carolina area, and also in Washington D.C. because I was interested in that in that area for some reason. And I eventually found a job at a little defense contracting company that did like um, they did two mm -hmm. things: they did video tracking for 
you know, basically missiles or things in the sky for the defense industry. Okay. But they also did photogrammetry, which is kind of the science of measuring the Earth. And it's used, it's used for things like mapping satellite photographs to, to maps so that you can overlay them on maps um, and, and other things like that. Um, and I actually was involved in a very interesting project initially when okay. I first started my job, right after college, um, actually at the FBI building. And it was in the special, it was in the special photography unit. And they had this project that used photogrammetry to try to analyze pictures of bank robberies. So they'd have a picture of a bank robbery taken by, you know, the camera in the bank. And then they would have an agent go in with a digitizing mm -hmm. tablet and kind of identify points that define the perspective, you know, so different points on, on the counter, these lines, and was supposedly able to calculate the height or the approximate height of the, the bank robber. Ah, interesting. <laughs> that was that was an interesting application. But but after that, the thing that um, really kind of changed my career was that I got into geographic information systems and mapping. And this this company I was working for was a defense contractor, but they had um, a contract to basically support this open source software called Grass. Maybe I have a related story to this, uh, but um, for, before pandemic, what I did, I organized from time to time workshops at Munich Airport. And there was a woman from Netherlands. And uh, it turns out, I think what, what happens is she worked actually for Greenland. And what she did, uh, the problem with Greenland was there was uh, no algorithm, how to call it, to, you know, um, because, um, you know, the um, earth is more or less a sphere. But it, and, but you know, in 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 Switzerland there there are mountains, and you know, in Netherlands it's flat, and Greenland is something in between, and they had no algorithm, you know, to map the uh, the map to the Earth, and she did it, and she attended, and we had a chat, and she said, okay, there's no problem, it's just math, but this was mind blowing what she did. She actually implemented the algorithm for Greenland. For Netherlands, and I think there's a similar algorithm we mentioned right now, right? And she was really nice, and she, she attended several times. Uh, they were like, you know, um, uh, I, I was really stunned because she attended you know, my my Java e workshops, and and she was like, why are you attending, you know, my boring stuff if you know how to map, you know, <laughs> the, the Greenland to, to to a map. But I think there's a similar algorithm, right? What she did. Yeah, I think. Well, I think what she did was probably develop a map. A map projection. Yeah, right? exactly. A map projection is a way to project yeah. the, the sphere onto a flat yeah, surface. Exactly. And there, there are a bunch of different map projections, mm -hmm. and I guess none of them were really very good for for Greenland. Exactly. This is what she did, and and what was your algorithm? Yeah, I don't know what the algorithms used there are. This was this was a system that I kind of got thrown into supporting. It was an it was what was called an expert system at the time. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole bunch of kind of if then else. Yeah, logic sure. That, no, no. But of, uh, what, what I said is this um, is interesting. Uh, this is a similar problem, you know, to uh, to map a three D object to a flat surface. Right. What happened then? So after after the um, after your um, bank robbery system, pre no bank bank robbery, not prevention, not even prevention. How to call it? You know, uh, resolution, right? <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> right. Find the bank robber. So, so um, what I, what I got into next was um, the software called Grass. So it's the Geographical Resources Analysis Support System, and it was open source software kind of before there was before anything was called open source. And this system okay. this system was a raster based geographic information system, 
And raster means that like each map layer is essentially a grid of numeric values. And you might have a, a, a map layer that's for soil where the numbers are like one for clay and two for sandy and three for, okay. for, um, for loam, et cetera. Or you might have a map that's some um, elevation map, you know, so that mm -hmm. kind of the, the land elevation at each point. And then you can do kind of map combinations. You can add maps together, multiply them together, kind of do mathematics. So for example, if you have an elevation map, then you can derive a slope map or you can do kind of logic. Like you're looking for high elevation, high elevation areas that have clay, for example. So I, I kind of became an expert in this software and we had a kind more like layers. Ex exactly. So you could have layers and combine right. them. So you have multiple and layers and then ways to kind okay. of combine them and calculate new, derive new map layers based on, based on those things. Um, and so we had a contract with the Army Corps of Engineers to add new features to this software. And we also distributed the software. So people would, you know, would order the software from us. We would send them a tape with the software okay. on it and a copy of the manual. Which programming could, language was it? This was all in C. Okay. It was all it all ran on Unix uh -huh. and specifically Sun OS. So we would also um, sell turnkey systems. So okay. if a if a customer wanted, we would basically install the grass software onto a Sun workstation. We would hook up a, a digitizing tablet, you know, this large table sized thing that you could strap a map to and digitize, and then maybe a thermal wax printer. Tektronix sold these thermal wax color printers that, that um that worked well with grass. And so we would sell these systems. Um, and at one point I sold a system to um, University of West Indies in Kingston, Jamaica. Okay. And actually ended up going down, they wanted someone to come down and install the system and train them how to use it. Um, so I went down there, trained them how to use it and they offered me a job. Okay. And so that kind of changed my life at that point. Like at that, um, I went back home and I was like ready to, to go um, but I had a girlfriend at the time and she was actually working with me at the very same company on grass. And we decided that we wanted to go. And in order to go, we had to, we had to get married. Mm -hmm. And so we, we did that, moved to Jamaica and, you know, we're still together to this, to this day. In Jamaica? And that was, that was <laughs> no, we, uh, we just went back there last week to visit, but yeah, we, mm -hmm. we went there for, for like a year and a half and I worked for the university and, um, continued to evolve or to contribute to the grass software and do training classes and, and things like that. So that was kind of an example where some, some open source software kind of changed, changed my life. Kind of like, uh, kind of like happened later on with roller. And, 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 and I think even <laughs> yes. your music yes, taste for sure as well, about, right? About, how about moving down there? I'd always been, a, always been a fan of Jamaica and, and reggae music. <laughs> Roots reggae, right? So, you know, the, yep. Nice, nice rhythm. Uh, by the way, I was at uh, at Java One, and uh, I don't know why. Once the technician asked me, "Do I have music with me?" and I said, "Yeah," and they say, "Then they can just play it." And then I played some reggae before my session. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't know what was it like, like a roots, this was like something from Bob Marley or whatever, and everyone was excited, <laughs> uh, was perplexed. Why? Why? I'm, what happens right now? It's like okay, don't worry. It was just just fun. And um, okay, so so you, I didn't knew that. So you spent a lot of time in in Jamaica. Yeah, I spent about a year and a half there, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, working on grass is, is grass still around? It actually is still around. I was just poking around, and I noticed that they have versions of it now with a nice user interface that runs on Mac and Windows, and um, 
and Linux same purpose. Is, is so it's still you know uh, um, having layers and combined layers. Yes, what is actually still... the killer use case for Grass? Gosh, um, I'm not sure. I, I guess and maybe environmental monitoring is one of the things okay. they use it for. So I mean, the most popular geographic information system software these days is is by Esri Environmental Systems Research Institute. It's called ArcGIS. Mm-hmm. And it's really a vector-based system. Everything is, is line segments, and each line segment ties into maybe a database record. Mm-hmm. And it's very good for things like keeping track of you know property records in a town, or the utilities um, mm-hmm. that are you know laid out through a town. I think grass is maybe more suited for kind of environmental things, and not not necessarily like uh, local government kind of applications. It's more of a science-oriented. Okay. Geographic information system, I think. I I was involved a little bit in two systems were similar to this. One was analyzing uh, satellite images uh, for for the farmers. You know where uh, how much um, fat, fertilizer they they spread somewhere and what was the vegetation. You know what was the impact of the fertilizer on the on on, on the on on the plants. And this was one, and the other one was layers. This was uh, one of the, my first projects. Was actually for power plants, so they uh, the, all you know the, the the pipes and the cables, cable routing, and you know there were uh, layers on top of you know on on different um, maps. So there was the first map, and there was the next layer and layer, and, and they can first okay, you know in this uh, in in this location there is there is some problem, and they could send you know a technician, and they can they can. They could um, activate and deactivate the layers. They talked about layers back then, so this is why I'm asking. And what's also interesting, it also run uh, ran on SunOS, but then we make it uh, to run on on the um, IBM ThinkPads actually, and it worked fairly well. So there was like an, I think an OpenGL back then, and uh, what also cool. Um, the entire system, I, I think they they called it graphic atoms. And uh, they uh, they re we rerouted. There was a huge actually a uh, huge display panels I remember, and uh, th- there was a driver and the driver was you know for the distribution of the graphic atoms to the to the displays which are the entire wall, and uh, what uh, what we did we we reimplemented this in Java applet. So actually, you could see whatever was on the wall also in, inside a Java applet and a Swing app, which was uh, with uh, which was uh, crazy, and yeah, everyone was delighted back then, and uh, and the developers as well because they wanted to learn Java, they only knew C and Visual Basic, and for them it's not a completely new world. So everyone was highly motivated. It was a nice project. Yeah, very yeah, good. Well, that- hmm? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that computer mapping and, and GIS stuff was kind of a big part of my life for kind of the first, maybe the first half of my career. So, Okay. And you spent one half years in Jamaica just with the with grass? Yeah. Okay. And what happens afterwards? Why why you left Jamaica? So you couldn't, didn't like yeah, I, the I, music anymore? Or? <laughs> I basically couldn't, couldn't get them to extend my contract any further, you know. I would have, okay. I would have stayed if I, if I could have. So I came back to the U.S., and kept on trying to work in the in the computer mapping field. I ended up um, with the phone company, essentially the phone company okay. for for the New York and New England area. It's called Nine X. They had a research lab. I guess it had broken off from Bell Labs, and they were doing interesting stuff with geographic information systems there. 
Um, I worked on a system to allow kind of cable TV engineers to lay out their cabling throughout a neighborhood and test signal strength. And this was all based on um, essentially AutoCAD with um, C++ additions that we wrote mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of tied things in the in the drawing into a database so that we can enable these kind of calculations. So that at 9x I kind of got into C++ programming and also doing a fair amount of Windows programming with um, you know Win32 and the Microsoft Foundation classes mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was around it was around that time that I first got introduced to Java. Java was this is like 96. Java was not quite ready for a 1.0 release. But since we were a pretty big Sun customer at 9x, they sent a team of folks to actually train us in Java. Okay. And so I got trained kind of early on um, in Java, and I, I didn't get to work with Java for a year or two after that. But I, I just remember being kind of blown away by by the technology. Oh, you like and, that? And, and, so this is interesting because I, I would assume, no, if someone back then knew C, C++ really well and then Java comes, which was primitive, the, the first version was not, you know, impressive at all. And everyone liked that. that this was actually interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess the syntax was very familiar mm-hmm. for a C programmer, mm-hmm. um, but also all the, the libraries seemed very impressive to me and having this all in one package and also the promise of being able to run things like in a web browser. Mm-hmm. That was kind of mind-blowing at the time. And you didn't use Java for two more years, you said? Yeah. I didn't actually start using Java until I left until I left the phone company. At some point, you know, I'd been working in GIS, and I'd been working at this phone company for a while, and it, I kind of decided that I wanted to work for a company that just did software, a company where the software wasn't considered like a cost of doing business, but the mm-hmm. software was really like the thing that was – the thing <laughs> that they're making money off. And so I, I decided to leave – 9x and started looking for a job. Um, I did look at a couple of software companies that did GIS, but I ended up joining a company called Rogue Wave, oh. which, which was very popular at the time because they collection the framework, mo- right? They had the most popular, yeah, the most popular C libraries. You know, tools.h, tools.h plus plus, and dbtools.h plus plus, which is like cross cross mm-hmm. database stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually, I was working on a on a small team on a framework they had called Zap. So they had, Rogue Wave had bought a company called Enmark and they had a cross-platform GUI framework called Zap. So you can write okay. kind of a very beautiful GUI and it will run on um, run X Windows or it will run on Windows or OS2. And the project that I was working on was a GUI builder for Zap. Okay. So it, was, it would generate kind of a complete GUI for you in C++ that used the Zap libraries. Um, and then eventually we turned that into JFactory, which was one of the very earliest kind of Java development environments. So instead of gener- it was the very same Zap application, but instead of generating C++ code that, that uh, called Zap, it would ju- generate Java code that called um, back then it was a- you know AWT, mm-hmm. I believe. But uh, the GUI builder was written in C++, I assume, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Interesting. What uh, I think Rockwave. I remember was one of the collection providers for Java before collection were available in Java, right? That's right. There was, I think it was called JBeans, maybe? Because I that. evaluate. So the story was Java, we had dictionary, hash table, and vector. I think that's basically was JDK 1.0. And I think with JDK 1.2, the collection framework came out. And I had to evaluate the collection frameworks between, you know, 1.0 and 1.2, Java 2 or 1.2. So it was like, I don't know, three years. And 
spend and the companies wanted to know. So I think Rockwave was one provider and there were two others. I forgot actually the names. I would have to do some research. What was what were the names of the other collection providers? So, you know, the young Java users don't remember, but uh, at the beginning there was no list, there was no error list, no, no hash map. There was just a you no know, hash table, dictionary and the vector. That's <laughs> yeah. what we had. And Rockwave provided one, I think, a collection framework for Java. And there was, um, I actually, at the beginning of Java, I always had to evaluate, right? One evaluation was the, was the um, collection frameworks. The other one was then uh, object-oriented databases were huge in Java. Everyone wanted to have one, right? There was the Echelon and, and object space and all the others. And, uh, and later was the persistence framework, you know? I had to evaluate for companies, you know, whether they uh, top link or, or uh, hibernate and eclipse link, always evaluation. So. And now um, it everything no one no one cares anymore. We can use whatever we like. So, <laughs> but at the beginning it was just discussion and evaluation, right? Yeah. Yeah. J Factory was it successful? Um, I would say no, not really. Not really. It wasn't especially successful. Otherwise, why not? But because at the beginning was everything was successful in Java, right? So everyone bought everything. I would say. Yeah, I think there were the competitors back then. There was like Visual Age, was one of them. There was JBuilder, and they were really complete Java IDEs. I mean, this was really okay. just really just the GUI builder. Okay. It didn't, it didn't mm -hmm. have the full IDE, and yeah. I don't think that's. I think people want the full IDE experience. They don't want. But what happens to Rockwave? Uh, I mean, because it was still around. I think that. As the, the, the name came, you know, um, over and over again. So I think, what happens to them? You know it? You know, I'm not really sure what happened to them. I know it seems like they were purchased by some company that specialized in maybe healthcare technologies or something. I, okay. So I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on with them now. I haven't looked them up okay. in, a, in a couple of years. But with the J Factory? You did the J Factory thing? I worked on that project. I didn't develop that. No, thing. no, but uh, you were one of the developers <laughs> yeah. who, who created the JJ Factory. So it was, was a larger project, right? Yes, it was a large. It was a larger project, and we, you know, we were doing a lot of work to try to move towards Java and actually replace. We we're doing some work to replace J Factory itself with something that's pure, pure Java. Okay. And I think around that it was like around. I've been at maybe maybe there for three years or so, and they decided to shut down their, their office in Charlotte. And I was one of two developers in that, in that office. So I, I got laid off. That was my first, first experience with getting, getting laid off. Um, I ended up working some other job in Charlotte doing, uh, um, like swing development and eventually moved back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I am now. And I got a job with a, with a pretty interesting startup called hot software. And hot they software. had, so it was, it was hot H A H T. And they had a product called HotSite. And maybe you remember back back in the 90s, there were these WYSIWYG um, HTML builders, like Front Page. Yeah. There, there was one, I can't remember that. Hot Metal. Yes, Hot Metal. And so so HotSite, they, they had this, Hot had this and very nice, very nice GUI builder, mm -hmm. HTML builder. Um, but they also had a back end. Like with Front Page, you know, you just, you develop your site and then you'd use FTP to copy it up to a server. But HotSite actually had a complete application server, a distributed application server, quite quite advanced for the time. Um, but the thing is, it ran basic. So it was like a distributed basic application server. So it used this engine called Summit Basic. They called Fusion was also big back then, I remember. Remember called yes. Fusion? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was definitely a competitor. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, so I worked on this. I think the reason they hired me was because I, I had all that C++ experience. I had experience with DB tools plus plus in the cross the database library. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, at that company, got into trying to change that app server so that it would be a Java-based app server. So you know, re replace the Summit um, engine with the JVM. Replace the page rendering technology with the Catalina engine mm -hmm. from Tomcat. Okay, um, and we really wanted to make a complete J2EE app server. So mm -hmm. we also licensed an EJB container from Enterprise. That's Borland mm -hmm. Borland's Enterprise branch, mm -hmm. and that also included a JMS um, implementation. So we really mm -hmm. wanted to create a complete app server. And this is kind of the origin of Roller. Is that um, I was working on this this app server, and I really wanted to kind of dog food it and understand what it's like to develop an app for this for this mm -hmm. thing, you know, with mm -hmm. EJBs and all, all of that. Mm -hmm. And so I started working on something um, that eventually became a blog server and eventually became Roller to basically be kind of that, you know, that dog fooding <laughs> application. Um, but eventually, you know, I started using technologies like XDocLit to generate the EJB yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing it was, it was really a pain to like, when I was trying to do development to kind of wait for the EJB container to start mm -hmm. up. And it was mm -hmm. just a lot of overhead doing mm -hmm. EJBs. You had um, your own, you had, you had your own container. Yeah. You, you built did. your own or you, or you bought one. So we licensed the Borland, the um, Borland, in, okay. Enterprise EJB Enterprise, container Enterprise, okay. and, and integrated it in, integrated in, into our, our mm -hmm. app server. Um, but eventually I got tired of, of kind of messing around with EJBs and got much more interested in actually building a blog server. And mm -hmm. around that time, you know, I was just fascinated with the number of open source components that are just freely available for developers to use. Mm -hmm. You know, from from things like the Tomcat engine to mm -hmm. to Ant to mm -hmm. NetBeans to XDocLit, mm -hmm. and I think Castor was what I was using for for persistence back then. Exactly, Castor. And I became fascinated with all those things. I realized I could build a block server and it could have like a templating templating engine behind it, um, and I kind of got into doing that kind of nights and weekends for for quite a while, and eventually realized that. The code base, you know, because I was kind of doing it for work, maybe it's, the code base is kind of owned by my employer. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I wanted I wanted to change that and I wanted to make it open source. So I appealed to my manager to kind of let me write a magazine article about this this mm -hmm. blog server mm -hmm. and to open source the code as part of that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of what happened to get Roller out into the world. I didn't knew that. I thought that you are working for some microsystems. No, this is before before Sun Microsystems. So shortly after that, shortly after I released that art, magazine article, maybe two months, somebody, um, I think his name was Anthony Eden, decided mm -hmm. to start running running Roller. He created a site called Free Roller, and he started to get a huge number of people to sign up for that. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was crazy at the time because the thing had, you know, the software had many bugs in it and had lots of problems. Like for example, I was storing passwords and plain text in the in the database, mm -hmm. you know. Things like that, um, but actually, Sun noticed that that Free Roller had thousands of users, and when they were looking to set up their employee blogs, uh -huh. they they decided to go with Roller. And this is what I saw. This is what I saw um, at Java.net. I think this was the decision that Sun would use Roller for the all the internal websites, and there was maybe interview with you, and I found found this. Fascinating, actually, back then. So okay, it is really, really interesting. Yeah, it was actually for. They decided to use it for their public external website. They wanted they wanted all of their employees to be able to blog, 
-hmm. and you know really about any topic they didn't want to restrict them to just blogging about sun or blogging about java they wanted to to kind of blog about whatever they wanted and they kind of hoped that most people would probably end up blogging about their job and promoting their work and that's kind of what that's kind of what happened i think it was actually huge success story i would say with the blogging and sun what i'm doing right now i try to find my very first po uh, post um why blogging was actually the uh and uh the story was i really liked the blogger software so i have no idea why i should blog but i would like to try the software out so this was actually my idea and at my own server so I go, <laughs> let's install the apache roller and see what happens and um and this is how I started. And uh, what I noticed back then, I remember this still, how well the installation process worked, actually. It was, uh, as I remember, I didn't have to configure anything. I could just run it. And he asked me, you know, which database would you like to use? It was like almost like a wizard back then, you know, which was not usual. Usually you will have to, you know, write lots of XML to achieve anything. And it, it, just, it just worked. And, um, yeah, and... The, and, and I, I'm already here. This is in 2007, um, and this points to my to my very first blog, but uh, I couldn't find it right now. So it, I think I started in 2006 was my very first blog uh, post, and uh, with the Apache Roller. And um, yeah, and then I I just documented, you know, whatever I did, and uh, and uh, was a nice experience as well. Um, but you you ever worked for Sun Microsystems? Yeah. So. Once Sun started using Roller for their external blogs, um, I contacted, I guess it was Tim Bray about that and uh -huh. was basically asking asking them if they need any help because, uh -huh. you know, Roller was badly uh -huh. broken, I thought. <laughs> I knew they were gonna have they were gonna have problems with it. There were lots of features that it was it was lacking. And so I was able to get a job with the Sun web engineering team that okay. was actually that was actually running blogs.sun.com. Okay. And so, you know, we worked on a bunch of different roller enhancements over the years, and we also took roller to the Apache Software Foundation, you know, got mm -hmm. it through the incubation process, et cetera. I, I worked for Sun for almost five years on that, on roller and re kind of related technologies. What's, what's interests me right now is uh, how big was the traffic? How many transactions per second or requests per second, uh, you know, was back then? Because the entire Sun, you know, company run on roller, right? That's right. So I, I think I think there were tens of thousands of blogs. I don't actually know what I can't give you any traffic numbers. It's a pity because uh, this will be interesting. <laughs> this would interest me because I remember you, you even blogged about the cash as well, right? So uh, how to improve the scalability. So it's, I don't know for a strange reason I remember actually some 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 articles from you. Yeah, I think in the early days of so first there was free roller. Mm -hmm. run by Anthony Eden. And then the Java lobby picked up, you know, kind of took over Free Roller and we're running something called JRoller. Mm -hmm. And I was actually, you know, the Java lobby folks, Rick Ross and Matt Schmidt are over in Cary, you know, about 30 miles away from me. And so we were actually working together to try to keep that site up and running. There were lots of scalability problems I remember in the early days. And I can't remember if that's when we put in the caching. I think it was around that time that I decided to move from Caster JDO to Hibernate. We were having all kinds of performance problems, and that was kind of a shot in the dark. Maybe that was silly to expect that to change anything. Um, but yeah, page caching was always an important part of, of making sure a roller system 
can stay up. So every you know every web every page that we render is cached, and I think we had a pluggable memcache implementation. Um, and then the RSS feeds are also cached. Mm-hmm. Uh, my f- very first post was 2006 in July. I think I installed Roller done, I would assume, in May 2006. So it was pretty late already, right? I think when you started Sun with your Roller uh, adventure? 2000, 2004, I think. Yeah, that's okay. I would say then I, I you know, take a look at one year at you know achievements and then it's okay, then let's go. And do it. And uh, what's what's interesting is, um, you know, how it's called pinkback. You pinkback, right? Back then there was a system where you wrote a comment. You could what? How it worked? This was the reason why XML XML RPC was actually so popular in the block engines because it was like a callback, right? You could write a comment in someone else's block. I think that's right. And, and you, refer. You, and refer your own posts. This was called ping back, but this was right. also source of uh, of of spam, and then was deactivated. That's right. Yeah, I remember there was an implementation of ping back in in Roller, and it would enable you to kind of add comments to an existing post from some other blog. But it's, yeah, it's definitely something that could easily be yeah. abu- abused. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then. Uh, I got also high traffic on my on my side, but uh, um, I said, okay, it looks like someone you know would like to spam me, and I said, okay, uh, then uh, I would like to write analytics, and I took a look at your code, and I assumed Sun Microsystems you're using Java six, but you used uh, an older Spring version with uh, Hibernate, which was not compatible with uh, with Glassfish what I use because the the Glassfish was newer than your code. And this was the start of microservices. Then I say, okay, I'm not able to extend Roller, so instead of that, I would write an interceptor, and you know, ping another microservice, microservice uh, called that X-ray, and the other other microservice will use EJBs actually, the proper one, because they start faster. <laughs> this was interesting observation, but this was new <laughs> at Java E. You know, with the Glassfish, it was new. There was no XML, nothing, no Xdoclet. It was just you know right. one annotation. And I wrote entire system called X-Ray, which uh, for analytics still on my blog. So the uh, on the on the right, right side, you know, all the numbers come from the X-Ray system. And I only used the um, one, um, I think it was called page model from you. This was like like a plugin, which called you know the X-Ray, uh, and and it was also a cache and 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 used the the recent statistics. And the cool story is, um, I'm a consultant, so I never. I cannot reveal my client's code, but the X-ray was somehow big, so I used it you not know, to explain some patterns. It was actually a cool idea, and I actually wrote a book about that as well. And James Gosling wrote a uh, foreword for that. So this was actually this what. Um, and then you asked me once, you know, I don't know, ten five years ago, uh, whether I can, you know, uh, have um, write something to the Apache Roller or, or like a reference, which is also funny because um, actually you you wrote the Roller. And uh, but what what I always was pleasantly surprised about you know the um, at the beginning for instance I use always the internal editor in Roller so this is um, it it worked really well and and I think in two thousand six we we had a Visivic uh, editor what you see is what you get inside you know the Roller which was I mean you wrote everything this so you 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 are in charge you know of the internal um, how to call it admin page admin pages yeah. But this was yeah, crazy I, back then. This was like cutting you, edge. 
Well, I didn't write any any WYSIWYG editor. No, but but you included <laughs> no, you included yes. the external components, but everything worked right. together and and uh, and you know it was very usable. You know, I'm glad. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess I, I guess I maybe didn't have that experience with the WYSIWYG editors. I always had a hard time with them, and I think generally I would default to like writing, you know, actually writing the HTML by hand. Yeah, I also wrote the uh, uh, the HTML by hand. But the editor inside in Roller, it was like uh, you you could use you know the the uh, the how to call it the what you see is what you get feature. I was actually wrote HTML plain, but um, you know the page templates and uh, the uh, the the possibility to have you know the Dave wrapper and you have you know the header and the footer and the content and the slots. So it was actually very usable, and it was. Velocity, right? It is based on yeah. Velocity template en engine, I think. Yeah, it still is based on Velocity. Although mm -hmm. I think Velocity is in the attic right now. It's been a it's like a retired project. Yeah, uh, which is funny because I think Velocity is also used in lots of serverless projects on AWS. It's the same syntax. So if you use, you know, uh, uh, API gateway or whatever, it's the Velocity syntax, which is uh, cutting edge in serverless. And uh, we used that, you know, in Blogger <laughs> 17 years ago. Um, because I saw um, that there's like a node syntax is velocity and uh, all the serverless people were excited about the template engine. It was okay. And you know, it is already in the attic, in, in Apache attic. Yeah. I'm surprised. I thought there were other templating languages that were much more popular nowadays. Free marker, for instance. No, and no one says this is velocity. It is just used. The syntax is used, and, and it leaks a little bit. Someone, someone admitted it's velocity, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just you no. Know, the dollar dot or whatever is just you know the right. typical, typical, typical syntax. Um, and and is how long you you maintained the 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 Aurora at Sun? Five years, you said. Yeah, I worked at Sun until. Early two thousand and nine, when I got hit by a layoff caused by the you know the global financial crisis of okay. two thousand and eight, so I, you know I did that, but I continued. I've continued to um, kind of contribute to the project and kind of act as the as the project management chair over the years. Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're still going. We're still able to put out releases. Mm -hmm. Your your brother is a contributor who's done mm -hmm. some awesome stuff to keep mm -hmm. dependencies up to date, mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of hanging around there because if you know, if I'm there, that enables other people to possibly work on the project. If I were to leave, you really need to have three people to kind of keep an Apache project alive. If okay. you don't have, if you don't have the three people you need to vote out a release, you really need to kind of retire the project. So we've got ah. we've got enough we've got enough people now that when when it's time to make a release for for whatever reason, like if there's some security vulnerability, we can actually do it. So the, the requirement for Apache is to have uh, three uh, P, uh, PMs. Yes, or, th or th basically three people who can vote out a release. Three okay. POC members, yeah. Le less than then you have to close the project? Basically. Okay. Yeah. This I didn't knew that. I think one person would be enough. But this is hard stuff. This is actually the reason why, why there are so many projects in the attic, maybe, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so what happened to you after Sun Microsystems? So what, what's what's interesting? I thought there's a completely different story behind you. What I thought is you, you were always, you know, a Sun employee, and then uh, Roller happened. Uh, this was the other way around. Because of Roller, you became Sun employee. Yep, that's but right. But you, you had a rock star status inside for, for at least at the beginning, no? I guess. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. So what I read is was all crazy stuff. Was, okay, this is really cool. And for me, it was like, it, it no, this, this role had come from nowhere. So I, I would say this was, uh, yeah, great ride. Have you also attended Java once? Yeah, I attended, a, when I worked for Sun, I think I went, Almost every year that I was there, I figured out how to how to make a talk out of out of various things. I, you know, I got into doing RSS and Atom, and following along with the development of the Atom protocol, and I wrote a book about RSS and Atom. And I, you know, so I gave some talks at Java One about that topic, mm-hmm. and about the program library Rome, which is Rome. Uh-huh. which does RSS and Atom. Um, and then towards the end of my stay at Sun, I moved actually moved from the Sun Web Engineering Group into the Glassfish team. And we were working on a social software suite. So we wanted to package together Roller and some wiki software and a, a link a link sharing service. Um, and eventually we changed that into an open social server at some point Okay. called, called Project Social Site. So my last couple of years at Sun, we're kind of trying to expand beyond Roller and into creating kind of a social software suite for Sun. And that now it would of- be very successful, right? <laughs> If there would be relaunch right now, it would be actually interesting, <laughs> interesting story with privacy, you know, and decentralized yeah. web, maybe. Yeah, so that all came to an end in 2008 with that, that global financial crisis. And then shortly thereafter, you know, Oracle bought Sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you did in 2008, 2009? So the next thing I worked on was I actually got a job at IBM in part because of my experience with Roller. You know, they were using Roller on a product called Lotus connections okay and i also had some friends at ibm who worked for ibm rational so i got a job basically working for the cto of rational i was on cto staff and i worked on a specification for integrating um, kind of ibm's alm lifecycle software development tools Mm -hmm. so they wanted they wanted to use basically rdf technology combined with rest to define this kind of standard API that all of their tools could it's implement. resource description framework, right? Like this uh, semantic web. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I spent a couple of years kind of learning about RDF and semantic web and trying to apply that to kind of integrating integrating software tools mm-hmm. together. Um, and that was fun. I, I was the specification lead for, for an OSLC spec that we completed. Um, but at some point after a couple of years at IBM, um, my friends from Sun had started another company called Way In. So Scott McNeely had a ah, second had exactly. a second a second startup, and um, got contacted by them and ended up joining Way In. Um, and initially, when I joined, I didn't understand what the heck they were doing. Um, basically, what they were doing is trying to create a social network where instead of like looking at at tweets or posts, you would look at a feed that has these kind of poll polls in it, mm-hmm. and you would do these kind of polls about different topics. And they thought that would be interesting enough to hold people's attention and different brands would put out polls that would, you know, engage with their, with their audience. Um, and we implemented that in, you know, it was a Java backend, MongoDB. This is my first experience with AWS cloud. We did everything on the cloud. Um, was it EC2? Plain EC2 or Fargate it ECS? Was, it was EC2. Yeah, it was no Fargate back then. I think we also used a serv- initially used a service called WriteScale. To help us with that. Ah, quite a history, right? Scale. Yeah, uh-huh. and then we and then we went to. I think the whole stack was eventually in CloudFormation. We had a pretty mm-hmm. nice setup with CloudFormation. We had CloudFormation and Jenkins, and we had a full kind of CI/CD 
mm-hmm. set up at one point. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that application, that polling technology, the way in, the initial thing that Wayan tried to do wasn't very successful. We kind of pivoted to something called Twit polls. So we we wanted to have polls on Twitter, and this is before Twitter su- supported them natively. Mm-hmm. And so what we would do is you would put out a poll, and the way people would respond is by mentioning a hashtag. So you, you they would reply to a post, and they would mention one of the hashtags that mm-hmm. is the vote. And then we would basically be, you know, processing the Twitter firehose and looking for all the votes and tallying those up and giving a very nice interface. And so the idea was that brands could engage with customers by doing these polls, and then they could kind of bring them back to their to their page that kind of conglomerates these these polls. That also was not maybe a great business idea. Um, yeah, so we tried a couple of other iterations, but but eventually I decided to leave way in. <laughs> but you worked uh, closely with Scott McNeely, right? Um, I guess I wouldn't say that closely with him. I mean, I did get to meet him a number of more times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's still interesting for you, no? I mean, it was absolutely, yes, it was absolutely interesting, and it was great to kind of reconnect with some of the folks that I'd worked with at Sun yeah. there at, at Way In. Yeah. So it was a very good experience. It was also my first experience with kind of a very small startup. And also an experience where everything is kind of virtual. You know, everything you have is like, you know, in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, the human resources system is kind of a SaaS that we were using. And mm-hmm. you know, everything was kind of virtual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Scott McNeely st- uh, still tweets from time to time about Sun Microsystems. Still, you know, a uh, uh, huge Sun Microsystems fan, which is great, I would say, right? Yep. I follow Scott. Yeah. Um, and... What happens then? Yeah, so at at, um, at Way In, you know, we initially started using MongoDB, and we kind of were dissatisfied with the way that it scaled and how we were able to manage it. We eventually switched to Cassandra, mm-hmm. used Cassandra, I think, for the last year that I was there. And because of my experience with Cassandra, I was able to get a job with Apogee. So okay, Apogee, this is a gateway, which was bought yeah, by Oracle, that's right? Their, that's their main thing is API gateway and API management. Mm-hmm. But they also had a database as a service Okay. Um, called you called U- User Grid. Okay. And so User Grid is essentially a REST API wrapped around Cassandra that makes Cassandra very easy to use, especially for for mobile developers. It's like a like Firebase that, almost, right? Yeah, essentially like Firebase. And so so you've got this REST API that's easy to use, easy to create collections. Everything is indexed, so you can search through your collections. There's ways to create connections between objects. Um, and behind the scenes is Cassandra and Elasticsearch. And so that was all Java, um, I think some Spring, obviously Cassandra, Elasticsearch. Um, but that was another case where um, we wanted to make it open source. We wanted to make sure that it was a viable open source project, so we decided to take it to Apache. Mm-hmm. So I took another project through the Apache incubator, and so that became Apache Apache user grid. And unfortunately, it is now also in the attic. Oh, because of you. You <laughs> left, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I think it's in, in part because Oracle Oracle bought Apogee, and Oracle already had you know multiple kind of database as a service mm-hmm. offerings like Firebase, and I guess you could say Spanner and, mm-hmm. and other things like that. They didn't really need to have Apache User Grid, so they kind of wound wound things down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I remember career. I was at Oracle. I was in Prague, um, and uh, I think it was. I don't know what, what it was Geekon, but Geekon I think was sponsored by Oracle, because Oracle had uh, um, and this was uh, exactly the year when Apigee was bought by Oracle. Uh, 
And the Apigee CEO had a talk about Apigee at Oracle and how the transition happened from Apigee to Oracle. And this happened in Prague. And um, this was interesting experience. I think it was Geekon. And this was like April year. I don't remember. I think 2016, maybe. 2016, 17 is maybe too late. Yeah, yeah, it was late 2016. Mm -hmm. Or late. And, and I know it was cold and rainy. So it was either you know, uh, spring or autumn. Um, yeah, but but mm -hmm. Oracle bought Oracle bought Apogee, and I really didn't want to move to Mountain View, mm -hmm. and so I started looking for a new job, and I ended up at CloudBees, and oh. I was there for for five years working at CloudBees, which was interesting because CloudBees is a company started by, well, among others, Kosuke of Jenkins yeah. fame, and I'd actually like worked on the same team with him back at Sun. You know, when I was on the Glassfish team, the, that was like the early days of Jenkins. I think Jenkins. Kazuki is uh, Koske is actually his real name. As also on my yes. podcast, yes. I had a chat with Koske. him. He's he's amazing, right? He is. He is amazing. And back and back then, I think Hudson was the name of it, and it was um, it was basically a server running under his desk, and it was doing doing mm -hmm. the Glassfish builds mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And and so, yeah, yeah, and. Interesting. So you worked for CloudBees for five years until 2021, right? Yeah, almost. Yeah, almost five years. Initially working on the the, uh, the enterprise version of Jenkins, which is basically Jenkins that runs on Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a there's a manager of managers, and there's the ability to spin up build agents kind of dynamically that run on on Kubernetes. Worked on that for a while, and then worked on a new category of software that we were trying to invent called software delivery management mm -hmm. so see so the idea is you you collect all this information from all the different tools that developers are using the collaborative tools like bug tracking systems um, source code control systems build systems and then you're able to have you know kind of insightful reports about things like um, mm -hmm. cycle time of, mm -hmm. of um, features being developed or you know look for stale pull requests this this kind of thing um, so we developed a system that kind of ingests data from all these different systems through Kafka and Flank, mm -hmm. puts them into Postgres, and then kind of presents them through a very nice and kind of dynamic mm -hmm. dynamic um, GraphQL mm -hmm. API. And now you're retired. No, I'm not retired. <laughs> Actually, so I, I worked at at, Graf, at uh, CloudBees for five years, and then worked for Apollo for another year, and then this Apollo got, is the is the yeah. GraphQL client. Yeah. Okay. Because of my work at. at at uh, CloudBees with GraphQL, I was able to get a job with Apollo, and then just December, just a couple of months ago, got hit by the tech layoffs. At Apollo, yeah. Oh, so I'm on the I'm on the job market. Very good. So, um, <laughs> where people, how people can hire you? Uh, what do you mean, how people? <laughs> You're in the job market. So, if a company would like to have you know. Uh, Gerald on steroids or whatever. How 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 they can find you on the internet? They can find me at uh, Snoop Dave on Twitter or mm -hmm. on on LinkedIn. My handle is also Snoop Dave on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, Why Snoop Dave? <laughs> that that's like an old story. Wow. So like Snoop Dave, that's like a name from the '90s, around the time that Snoop Dogg was mm -hmm. popular. Um, yeah. So you know the story. The story is, back when I worked at the phone company at 9X, we had, you know, we had internet, and mm -hmm. I, I had a sub, we were on a, me and my friend were on a subnet that somehow 
was able to inter intercept traffic for kind of all across the corporate network. Mm -hmm. And at one point we were trying to debug the connection between our, our PCs and our Sun workstations. And we were using like promiscuous packet sniffing. Mm -hmm. you know? So we, we could really see what the packets were going through our network were. And at some point we noticed that there were, there were some weird messages coming through the network, like the dwarf drinks the potion or the elf hits the dragon with a sword. And we were just, what, what, is, what is going on on our network? And we started noticing that this, this activity was be kind of going on all day long. Mm -hmm. And we realized that there was somebody on our network who was playing one of those multi-user dungeons. Okay. And so we kind of became obsessed with like, you know, finding out who this person was and trying to figure out how to stop them from doing, doing this. And so that's kind of where the name Snoop Dave okay. came from, as, as I was basically snooping. And it turned out it was the CEO of the company. <laughs> no. <laughs> Instead no, of creating PowerPoints, out... he played, you know, some. <laughs> <laughs> it, did, it turned out that it was an intern at the company. Uh -huh. Hey, it was a lot of fun. I still using Roller. And um, I actually uh, started to build my own version. Very, very simple one, like, you know, um, but no time to complete. Uh, absolutely unusable for, 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 you, for your needs. For me, it's more like you know the um, static page generator. It's uh, quite an opposite that uh, uh, with the same API, but it just generates you know static pages, and you can store just as five snippets which are loaded. This is what I did, and uh, but uh, I'm still using Roller because I have no time to finish. So, <laughs> but uh, but Roller, st I'm still amazed actually, and um, I was uh, really completely blown away as I saw. I don't know that. Sun Microsystem as a software, like a portal almost, right? Where the entire, everything is running in Sun. It's a pity that you don't know how much traffic it actually happened on Roller. Do you at least know how many machines they were involved with Roller? I am really not remembering. I think it was on the order of three to six machines. Okay. This would be interesting. Which machines, you know, how big they were, how many CPUs? Yes, that's what so I So we have to create, to, to, to know some some more investigations here, uh, how, how it runs. Yeah. One of the largest installation. I mean, I mean, back then, right? How many employees used Roller? It should be ten thousand or or more. Yeah, I think it was at least ten thousand, possibly twenty thousand blogs. But you know, I don't know how many of those were active, actually active blogs. I mean, a lot of people set up a blog and then never actually do anything. With yeah, it. but it was still scanned by Google. You know, someone hit them. Yeah. I mean, this was the it was the the back then. Sun was huge, and the entire attention. So I. I checked, you know, the, the blogger page multiple times a, a day, I would say. This is... Yeah, I did I did too. There were some very successful blogs on there that did some great work for some, like the Aquarium blog. Uh, exactly. Aquarium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And later, you know, the Jonathan Schwartz also blogged on, uh, on, on Blogger, right? Yeah, that's right. I still follow him as well. Thank you a lot. You are yeah. Snoop Dave Thanks on Twitter. Yep. Snoop Dave on Twitter or Snoop Dave on, on LinkedIn. Thank you a lot. Uh, and cool. it was fun you know, to learn about Rola. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.